0: Great. We're here with Alisa Schatzman um, from the Legal Accountability Project. Alisa, uh, want to give a little background about yourself uh, for the audience?
1: Sure. So I graduated from WashU Law in 2019. I aspired to be a homicide prosecutor in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office. So I clerked in D.C. Superior Court during the 2019 to 2020 term. Um previous episodes of the podcast, I've shared my clerkship experience, which eventually inspired me to launch the Legal Accountability Project, a nonprofit aimed at ensuring that law clerks have positive clerkship experiences while extending support and resources to those who don't.
0: Great. So today we're going to talk about uh, clerking clerkships in a law review article that you just uh, came out with called the Clerkships Whisper Network, what, what it is, why it's broken, and how to fix it. Um, Congrats on the piece.
1: Thank you. It was really exciting. It was a labor of love. Um, I really appreciated the opportunity to talk about this in the Columbia Law Review.
0: That's great. So why did you write this piece for the Columbia Law Review?
1: So the piece is a play on words of the title of the event that I did at Columbia Law School with the Office of Judicial Clerkships and Student Senate last November. The title of that event was something like, the Clerkship's Whisper Network, what it is, whether it's broken, and how to improve the clerkship experience for students and alumni. Um, And at the event, we talked a little bit about what the Clerkship's Whisper Network is, but I felt like some issues were left unaddressed about the lack of information sharing between those with information about judges who mistreat their clerks and those who need that information students, which is why I wrote the piece. It's kind of a compilation of my thoughts based on, at this point, about 19 months worth of interfacing with law school administrators, clerkship directors and deans, faculty members and students to improve clerkship resources.
0: That's great. Why should we even care about law clerks? They're They're the lowliest of lawyers, right?
1: So I think we should not ever talk about judicial accountability or judicial ethics without talking about law clerks. They are the public servants who do the court's critical work to support judges. They support the daily functioning of our courts, yet they outrageously lack basic workplace protections. They are exempt from Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, which is outrageous. And when we think about the legal profession, It is populated by former clerks. Today's law clerks are tomorrow's prosecutors, public defenders, big law partners, law professors, and judges. The pathway to the bench typically starts with being a judicial law clerk. Yet law clerks are notoriously homogenous, overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male. We think about improving and diversifying the legal profession. It is fundamentally about improving and diversifying judicial clerkships.
0: I totally agree. And it's been like that for a while, right?
1: Forever. Yes. Um, This is an area of a legal profession that has like resisted efforts at transparency, standardization, diversity. And that's because partially judges are not subject to any oversight in their hiring practices, nor are they required to release any data about the diversity or lack thereof in their hiring, which I think are other problems that need to be addressed.
0: Absolutely. So what is this clerkship whisper network that you talk about in the piece?
1: So the clerkship's whisper network is not a term I coin, but it's one I use a lot. And it refers to kind of the backdoor, secretive, fear-infused method of partial information sharing, whereby those who have information about judges known or suspected to mistreat their clerks, that is law school clerkship directors and deans, faculty members, and current or former clerks may or may not share all that information with the clerkship applicants who need it, students. Now, people whisper about mistreatment because they are fearful, because the legal profession has said that you should never say anything negative or even lukewarm about a judge, that you should fear retaliation, that you should fear reputational harm. And You have to be in the like rarefied air of the T5 to even hear these whispers about mistreatment. Most clerkship applicants don't even hear the whispers. Um, And I worry that far, far too often, the information about judges who mistreat their clerks is not shared with the students who need it. And even in the instances where it is, it is typically messaged as, quote, a challenging clerkship that is worth it for the prestige, which is also trash messaging that we need to address because nobody should endure workplace mistreatment, And due to the opacity in the clerkship system, students are really not empowered to critically assess the information they are given about judicial clerkships.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I know when I was at Columbia applying for uh, clerkships, Back in 2005, which is forever ago, um, there were there was a whisper network about Judge Kaczynski, but it was it was a real whisper uh, relative to the bullhorns that we kind of heard from other clerks when we actually got there uh, and were clerking. So there's a there's a big asymmetry even among the kind of top law schools out there what folks are hearing between what they're they're privy to when they're in law school versus what the situation looks like on the ground um, during the clerkship. So it's a really good point. Um, How do law students get information about judges before applying for clerkship these days? And does enough information exist?
1: So this is my favorite question to ask law students who I speak with often. They really do not get information about judges. Certainly not enough information is accessible to them right now. So a handful of law schools conduct a post-clerkship survey of their alums. Some make those surveys accessible to students in a searchable internal database. Some do not, which is crazy. Um, But the surveys are uniformly positive, making them basically useless for students seeking like candid information or even nuanced information, That is because the messaging on law school campuses is that you should never say anything negative or even lukewarm about a judge. And this is what I hear from clerkship directors and deans who tell me candidly that they dissuade law clerks from writing anything negative about a judge in a post clerkship survey. Um, So that is one way. What law schools tell students to do is to quote, do their research. Now, what does that mean? That means they want students to reach out to current and former clerks for information about clerkships. So for every single interview with every single judge in this incredibly inefficient manner, they're encouraging students to reach out to clerks. What I hear from clerks who have been mistreated, and I know now that you're affiliated with LAP, you've started to hear this too, mistreated clerks don't want to field this outreach. They are re-traumatized when people reach out. They ignore the outreach because they both don't want to say anything negative about the judge, continuing to fear retaliation, to fear reputational harm, but also not wanting to steer students toward judges known to mistreat their clerks. So think about the type of person who's going to field outreach from prospective clerks. It's overwhelmingly people who had a positive clerkship experience who are going to say positive things about the judge. Something else I hear from clerks is that they will kind of even whitewash the experience when students reach out. And then a couple of years later, when I'm talking to these individuals as former clerks, they say, well, I reached out to like 10 people for information about the judge. Nobody told me anything negative. I reached out after I was mistreated and they said, oh, yeah, I didn't share all the information with you. So clearly not enough information exists, it is overwhelmingly positive, and therefore not representative of clerkship experiences. And because law clerks are overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly male, they're not getting a representative subset of experiences. If you are a Black, LGBTQ, female prospective clerk, you're probably going to have a different experience with the same judge as a white male clerk, but current. Information sharing mechanisms don't really capture that either. When we think about other areas of the legal profession, either other industries, there is transparent information about the workplace people are entering. Um, Clerkships have resisted efforts at transparency and standardization, which is what makes the nonprofits I run so urgently necessary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. One of the points of advice that I try to give to to, uh, newer lawyers is it actually matters a lot more who you're working for in an institution rather than what that law firm is or what that organization is you're working for because your boss on a day-to-day basis is going to matter everything in that new job. So if you can actually get information about that person, it's hugely beneficial. And of course, for most law clerks, they really have one boss. Sometimes there's a career law clerk there who is kind of serving as a second boss, but usually it's just one person where there's a big age gap. Um, there's a lot, very different experience often for folks, and it's, it's good to know who you're gonna be working for on a you know, day-to-day basis. So um, law schools have formal clerkship advising uh, systems. So they have clerkship advisors uh, at some of the top schools, uh, and then deans play that role as well. Uh, what is the law school faculty's role in clerkship advising uh, these days?
1: So, many law schools have a formal faculty clerkship committee with professors rotating on and off each year, and then most law professors also play an informal role in clerkship advising. So, this is a piece of clerkship advising that I think is not talked about enough. I encounter some law schools where a professor plays a pretty formal role as the clerkship's gatekeeper, creating a lot of issues because not everybody is able to connect with the gatekeeping professors for closing opportunities. Um, It also means there is real selective sharing of information. But one thing I worry about, and I interface with a lot of faculty members about clerkship resources too, is far too many faculty members are engaging in uh, some revisionist thinking about their clerkships. They had a not so great experience, which they're pretty candid with me about, But yet they continue to tell students that even a, quote, challenging clerkship is worth it for the prestige, something I've already said before and will harp on. Um, Faculty members are mentoring students, and I worry that they are not providing the candid information about clerkships that students need. There are just not enough good places for students to go for candid information about clerking. And too often, faculty members are really just cogs in the machine.
0: So, um, who benefits from this uh, this system that we have now, the status quo? Uh, who are the folks who who, who actually um, get ahead through this system?
1: So, I am very careful to underscore that this system does not benefit any students. The Opacity in the system perhaps benefits a few T14 clerkship directors and deans who are very focused on their relationships with every single judge, even those known to mistreat their clerks. But whether you are a conservative 1L who gets a clerkship super early via some of the non-formal networks like perhaps the Federalist Society or you are a first gen law student coming in, not knowing what a clerkship is or why you should do one. Every single student is disadvantaged by not having enough information about judges. And I worry as I'm interfacing with law schools that they are so caught up in their relationships with the judiciary. They cannot even see that this is an enormous disservice to all of their students all students and clerks would benefit from more information. The vast majority of judges would benefit from more information. The other group who's gonna benefit from opacity in the system is the judges who mistreat their clerks, the ones who oppose transparency, the ones who tell their clerks, well, don't write anything in a post clerkship survey. That would violate your duty of confidentiality. Well, spoiler alert, it does not. And also that should be a red flag about somebody you don't wanna clerk for. Um, so students are the ones who are disadvantaged and those are the people I fight for every day.
0: That's great, I really applaud that. And that's one of the reasons why um, I agreed to join the Legal Accountability Products Board, a uh, group that you co-founded, in, in my view, doing a great job as a steward of the organization. Um, you know, I benefited in, very, in, in various ways for sure from the system uh, about 20 years ago. Um, But it was a frightening system where you really had no control uh, over where you're going to be. I mean, it's a it's kind of a bizarre system where um, you apply to people all over the country. You don't know that much about them. And then the judges have a tremendous amount of power to swoop in and say, hey, you're going to work for me. And the law schools, at least back in my day, said, well, you got to take any offer that's given to you. So don't don't find yourself in an interview. Where you're going to reject uh, a clerkship offer, and that's that's a really bad place to put um, people who are just starting out in their legal careers. So it's it's terrific uh, that that you're trying to change the calculus here, and that other folks too uh, are doing the same. I know that a lot of law school deans and faculty members have been thinking hard the last 10, 15 years about how to how to modify the system to make it more friendly and achieve the goals uh, that everyone have uh, for this system. So why don't you tell us about LAP? What are the goals and the major initiatives that you're working on and and why focus on collaborating with law schools? Certainly they've been um, a part of the source of the problem, but it seems like you're saying they're also really the solution here along with the work that you're doing at LAP.
1: Sure. So the Legal Accountability Project basically seeks to ensure that more law clerks have a positive experience and then extend support and resources to the folks who don't. Um, I think of the nonprofit as the resource I wish existed as a WashU law student applying for a clerkship, a law clerk experiencing mistreatment in my courthouse and not sure where to go for help, and then a former clerk engaging in the formal judicial complaint process. Our major initiative this year, which is one of the focuses of my piece with the Columbia Law Review, is a centralized clerkships database, legal tech that democratizes information about judges, ensuring that law students have more information about more judges before they make what's clearly a really consequential career decision about clerking. We have created a post-clerkship survey that we are sending to law clerks from courthouses and law schools across the country, empowering clerks to share their clerkship experience anonymously if they choose after they have been verified as clerks. And this just vastly increases the breadth and candor of information accessible to students considering a clerkship and to clerkship directors and deans advising students on beneficial clerkship experiences. When this goes live this school year, if your law school pays to subscribe, you can log into this database and read thousands of surveys about thousands of judges your law school probably doesn't know about. And what I say to law schools is no law school knows about all the judges. Judges are appointed and elected each year. And every school right now has a ceiling on the number of judges they know about, dependent on who alums have clerked for in the past their willingness to share info with their law schools, and as we've discussed, when the experience is negative, they're just not willing to share that. And while transparency benefits every single student, it particularly benefits historically marginalized groups, women, non-white, LGBTQ, first-gen, disabled students, defining diversity really broadly, who disproportionately lack the formal networks and information channels that are helping their peers get clerkships and yet who might have unique considerations when they're deciding whether they want a clerk and who they want a clerk for. Like, is the judge sensitive to diverse identities? Do they hire diverse clerks? So that's basically what we do. We are seeking to finally democratize information about judicial clerkships and improve the clerkship system. And why I work with law schools. So one of my early pieces of legal scholarship on this topic was with the Yale Law and Policy Review, and it was titled something like, law schools are part of the problem, but they can and should be part of the solution. And I know that law schools don't love me saying that, but the past 19 months have just solidified that truth for me. Law schools have some information about judges known to mistreat their clerks they do not uniformly share that with students. And they continue to message it as challenging, but worth it for the prestige. And law students look to their law schools and often not much further for clerkship information. Here is a way to vastly increase the breadth and candor of information accessible to students. Um, I think law schools are one of the biggest sources of the problem in clerkship resources, messaging, allocation. Some continue to really maintain a chokehold on clerkship messaging. Here is a way for every single law school to be part of the solution, to step forward and make meaningful changes. That's not to say that LAP does not work with the judiciary because we certainly do. I interface with a lot of wonderful individual judges. We have a judge on our board of directors but um, you know, judiciary wide policy changes are slow. The judicial conference and the AO are challenging to engage with. I think they're probably gonna protect the misbehaving few rather than represent the interests of the good many rank and file judges to support transparency. And so I really think of law schools as the easier way to make necessary changes.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And it's it's hard to argue against transparency. When I used to work in Capitol Hill, we'd always have a good idea to do some substantive thing. And then there'd be a roadblock and everyone would say, well, let's just do a transparency measure. Let's just get more information on this. And and usually most people were for that. Um, but sometimes there are downsides, right, to transparency. There, there can be. Do you, do you think there are any downsides to transparency increasing in this clerkship process?
1: So... I think some law schools, particularly top ones, do worry that they're not sure if increased information sharing will benefit their students or will perhaps benefit other law school students. I really think everybody benefits from increased information sharing. We're not saying to law schools, give us your proprietary clerkship information. Tell all the other law schools how you help your students get clerkships. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that if you have information about judges who mistreat their clerks, you need to facilitate that information sharing. And you should also be facilitating the information sharing of positive clerkship experiences. We are improving the judiciary through better clerkships. Um, I think the people who do not benefit from transparency are the judges known or suspected to mistreat their clerks. And we at LAP now know who some of those people are. That's really too bad. I think that if you are mistreating your clerks, everybody should know that. You should be reprimanded and trained. And if you can't improve your behavior, you shouldn't be a judge anymore. We're not interested in protecting any misbehaving judges at LAP. We are interested in protecting every prospective clerk, every current clerk from workplace mistreatment. Because as my experience illustrates, it's really not just a year of your life. It is a year that in the worst of circumstances could really derail your career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's for, for many lawyers, this is probably the most formative year of their legal career for better and sometimes for worse, unfortunately, for, for too many people. Um, what does the process look like for folks who want to speak out or, or address Um, whether it's bullying or harassment or discrimination uh, right now? and, And what should it be in the future in your, in your view?
1: Yeah. So the processes to speak out about workplace mistreatment in the judiciary are few and law clerks are actively dissuaded from using them by the judiciary, by their law schools, by legal employers Internally, to address workplace misconduct, if you are a federal clerk, you can use employee dispute resolution or EDR to get reassigned. If you are a former clerk, you can file a formal judicial complaint under the Judicial Conduct and Disability Act. If you're a state court clerk, you would pursue these avenues through a state judicial conduct commission or internally through your courthouse. Um, Those are really not sufficient processes i think that law clerks need to be protected under title 7 but those are back end solutions when we talk about sharing experiences this is something i think about a lot and people ask me at lap about often a getting more clerks to share their experiences law clerks are very fearful years decades later even I encounter lots of clerks who are fearful once their judges are deceased about the judge's network of powerful former clerks. I really think it's time for a Me Too movement in the judiciary and for a groundswell of current and former clerks speaking out and sharing their experiences. I share my experience a lot. Um, It is empowering. It is a mode of accountability for me. And the number of people who reach out to thank me and confide in me is also quite empowering and gratifying. I think there is still enormous fear in the legal profession about speaking out about judges, and that is kind of the larger cultural change that LAP is seeking to create. It's about fostering candid dialogue about the full range of clerkship experiences, the full range of workplace conduct that starts on law school campuses, and we are really, We've changed the conversation around clerking in the legal profession, which is awesome. And we're just trying to continue with that messaging, empower more clerks to speak out. Because when I was a law clerk experiencing mistreatment, I watched Olivia Warren testify before the House Judiciary Committee about her experience with the late Judge Reinhardt. And when she said, you are not alone, that really resonated with me. I was deep in my clerkship hellscape at that time. And so that's the messaging I seek to share with clerks. You are not alone. Um, our experiences are not rare. It is unfortunate that they are rarely shared publicly right now, but we are changing that
0: yeah, that's great, and I think one of the things that's so important about your story is that you did speak out, uh, especially uh, close in time to when you know you were subjected to discrimination um, because I think a lot of people feel like if they speak out, they're not going to get supported by the community. But often that's just not true. So speaking of Olivia Warren, in the case of my the Judge I clerk for Judge Reinhardt, he said and did some terrible things uh, to her. Um, and I, I don't think that she expected so many law clerks uh, from Judge Reinhardt's uh, law clerk family to come forward and support her. But within, I think, a week or two of, of when she told her story to Congress, More than 75 of us wrote a letter strongly supporting her, basically saying, hey, we believe you. It's wrong what happened. It's not consistent with Judge Reinhart's own views about how people should be treated or about the law. And law clerks should be treated just like other employees and protected by Title VII uh, of the Civil Rights Act and be be free of discrimination and have fair and effective remedies uh, and mechanisms to enforce the law. So you know, when folks come forward and have that courage to do so, I think more likely than not, other other people have the courage to stand up and say you're right, and we stand with you. Um, but you know, when you're in this situation as a law clerk, as you recall, it's really hard. I mean, my co-clerks and I went to Judge Reinhardt and told him that Judge Kaczynski's harassment of law clerks in the Ninth Circuit needed to stop, and that if he was going to become the chief judge this kind of behavior had no place in the Ninth Circuit. Of course, as you know, nothing happened. And uh, he went on to become the chief judge and Heidi Bond uh, eventually, a a long time after that, spoke out publicly about um, Judge Kaczynski's harassment of her. Um, But again, to to bring it back to the point of of people speaking up for their colleagues and for other law clerks, uh, Chris Walker, who's a professor at University of Michigan Law now, spoke out in favor of his co-clerk, Heidi Bond, um at potential, you know, significant professional cost. Um, At the end of the day, though, I think most law clerks and um law clerk graduates who have have moved on to their careers, you know, these are folks who do want to do the right thing and will in most cases, um, but there has to be a system ultimately to improve uh clerking and situations where you have harassment or bias or discrimination. So um, going back to LAP, what, what's been the response to the work that uh, LAP has been doing thus far? You've been on a lot of co- of, of law school campuses, talking to a lot of uh, students and faculty and administrators. Uh, what's that response been like?
1: So it's been overall positive, but admittedly mixed from some administrations. So last year, I visited about 30 law schools for this like fixing our clerkship system tour. Uh, spoke with a lot of law students about an idea, a theory of change, this clerkships database that we were creating. This year, we're back on these campuses demoing the database for law students and administrators and really urging them to make changes. So I talk in the piece about the response from clerkship directors and deans, and I do use some quotes and some in the footnotes. There are some great deans and clerkship directors who are very engaged and interested in making changes. On the other end, there are some who say really outrageous things to me, like harassment isn't happening. It's just women adjusting to their first jobs. And we're blessed to work with only good judges. All our alums have a positive clerkship experience. Um, and a couple are telling students that I want to abolish clerkships. And my law school, Wash you has told me it's their official policy not to warn students about judges who harass their clerks. So we're trying to make progress with every single law school. Every school has room to improve. Um, I think there was probably some skepticism last year about whether we gain any traction, whether I was just going to be out there criticizing judges. I think it's pretty clear that I engage a lot with judges and I consider myself to be critiquing systems that need to change. I'm very careful not to criticize anyone personally, even though I think a handful of folks deserve it. Um, it's been challenging, but overall quite rewarding. We've definitely received a more positive response, I think, from judges than from law schools, a very positive response from most segments of the legal profession, which is enormously gratifying. Um. I think some law schools really need to feel the groundswell of support from their students and alums. I worry a couple kind of quell dissent and quell student advocacy, but we will get there. I mean, our clerkships database, I have shared publicly, um, has more than 600 surveys in it right now from law clerks and judges across the country. We are the largest independent repository of clerkship information. And we are launching this this year, whether we have a handful of law schools on board or a huge number, but it'll grow faster if more law schools support this.
0: That's great to hear. And have any particular responses from judges that you'd like to share without naming names about positive experiences that we've had at LAP?
1: Um. Yeah, so we work with a lot of great judges, including Judge Nazarian, who's on our board of directors and has been a big supporter. But I've been really pleasantly surprised at the number of judges from across the political spectrum who are publicly conveying support, tweeting out our survey link, reaching out to law school clerkship directors and deans from schools they hire from, from schools they went to, to convey support. I spend a lot of time interfacing with individual judges, and then I will kind of connect them with deans and clerkship directors who want to get a judge's perspective. And that generally goes very well. And we're doing events with some of those judges this school year. Um, I I think that across the political spectrum, across the ideological spectrum, we've just had a lot of support. I've been overwhelmed by the number of judges who are supportive of increased transparency in the system. They understand that their pools of clerkship applicants will be better and more diverse if students have more information about judges.
0: That's great. You know, one thing that's always struck me as interesting about judges hiring law clerks is they hire once a year, somewhere between one and four law clerks, right? So it's kind of like Very different than the normal employer who might hire 10 or 20 or 100 people every year where they have much more standardized processes in place. How do you think the fact that they're hiring only a small number of people affects um, the effectiveness of of that hiring process, including diversity uh, and and just kind of making sure they, they cast a wide enough net?
1: So there's a really interesting article forthcoming in the Harvard Law Review by Judge Fogel and Justice Liu about appellate law clerk hiring. And it really spotlights, I think, 50 circuit judges thoughts on diversifying their hiring. What judges conveyed to in that law review article, and what they conveyed to me is that they're constrained by their pool of applicants, which is not very diverse. And this also goes back to faculty members roles in clerkship. Advising. Judges hire, many of them hire, in June of 2L year via OSCAR, the online system for clerkship application and review. And they don't really have the capacity to go through hundreds and hundreds of applications. What they want is for some friendly law professors to help them filter candidates. But when they say to their, let's say a white male judge says to a white male law professor, bring me some candidates who are good fits. Well, that's kind of a euphemism for discrimination, because who's going to be a good fit perceived by a white male law professor and a white male judge? Well, probably white male applicants, probably from the T5. Judges are constrained by their pool of applicants, but they need to be intentional to diversify their hiring. That means being out and about in the community. That means doing law school events, particularly with the affinity groups, balsa, lalsa, salsa. Women's Law Caucus, Um, and then perhaps hiring outside the T5, hiring outside the top 10% of the class. There are lots of people who can do clerkship work, and some of them just need a chance. Some of them just need a leg up. Um, You make a good point that hiring is done once a year, and it's just a few clerks. And of course, judges are worried about getting the best clerks so that the court's important work gets done. And I think that might make some of them nervous about hiring outside their standard um, conventions, hiring outside their standard thoughts about what a clerk should look like. But that is the only way we will improve and diversify the profession if we give more people a chance to do clerkship work.
0: So one of the arguments I've heard against the clerkship database is the fear of retaliation from judges that they might kind of boycott a school Um, like I know some of the conservative judges are boycotting Yale because it's too liberal, for for example, something along those lines. But do you think that that's a realistic possibility? In my view, I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, do you have any insight on that?
1: So this is one of the wildest concerns I've heard, and I've heard it a couple times Um, And I think it might have been engendered by the kind of James Ho, Lawrence Silverman boycotting Harvard, boycotting Harvard, boycotting Yale and Stanford issue. So here's what I say to law schools about this. It should be a red flag to you if any judge opposes transparency, if any judge believes that they are above reviews. That is not someone you should be sending students to clerk for. So we have not seen judges opposing this. Judges know that these internal databases already exist at a handful of law schools because they went to those schools, they hire from those schools. But ultimately, you should not be sending your students to clerk for somebody who opposes transparency. Now, I know law schools will keep doing that. And so the other aspect of that messaging is saying, look, you should stop sending your students to clerk for judges known to mistreat their clerks. Um, so we don't really see that as a big concern. I know that is a fear. I know law schools have lots of fears about change, about transparency. Um, but the status quo is unacceptable. It is a five alarm fire and we need to change the system.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um so in doing this work now for how long you've been doing uh, the LAP work?
1: I think 19 months-ish.
0: All yeah. right. So coming coming up on the two-year anniversary, what's what's been the most challenging um, part of working to reform the clerkship system as part of LAP? And, and I guess before that, by telling your story out of your own clerkship.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I always kind of knew after I was, Mistreated that I wanted to share my experience. So I I was always pretty set that I was going to do that. Definitely people dissuaded me from speaking out telling me like the right professional decision was to stay silent, speaking out would tarnish my reputation, we weren't sure what the response was going to be. I have signed a settlement agreement so I don't identify the former judge by name. And so I am generally protected from the kind of frivolous defamation litigation that some of the Joshua Wright accusers, former George Mason law professor, are going through right now. Um, It's empowering to share my experience. And I really appreciate the people are generally receptive to me sharing. You know, probably the most challenging thing about this work is the hostile response from some law schools. And I think that has lessened as we have gained traction in the legal community, as we now have this working legal tech product demo for law schools. But when schools say these outrageous things to me that everybody has a positive experience, they don't believe mistreatment is happening, they don't want to make changes. Obviously, my law school, WashU, is one of the biggest culprits of this. They really hate what I am doing. It weighs on me not just that their students are going to go another year without these desperately needed resources, but that law schools generally are holding up change. They are prioritizing their relationships with every single judge over their duty of care to all their students. And it weighs on me when clerkship directors and deans tell me that they dissuade clerks from filing complaints, that they tell them to keep their heads down and move on. Law schools are holding up change That is painful to me when I talk about the urgency of change, it is my own urgency. It is the knowledge that my own legal career, my own aspirations of becoming a homicide prosecutor were just derailed by the opacity of the clerkship system, the decision by my law school to withhold information from me and the knowledge that that is not rare. That is happening on every single law school campus. Still today, no law school is doing an adequate job of protecting their clerks, and it weighs heavily on me that we are going into another clerkship application cycle where students are not getting the information they need before applying.
0: Yeah, those are great points. Well, hopefully by the next time folks apply, we're going to have thousands of uh, entries in in the clerkship database so that uh, no matter where, where folks go to school, they can get detailed, accurate information about um, law clerks' experiences with judges. So uh, just to wrap up here, could you give us maybe the kind of top three things that uh, listeners can do to foster increased transparency, accountability and diversity in in clerkships going forward?
1: Yeah, if you are a current or former clerk you can go to survey.legalaccountabilityproject.org to share your clerkship experience right now and help us democratize information about judges. Fill out our survey and then encourage your networks of clerks to fill it out as well. If you work at a law firm, we are seeking sponsorship opportunities with law firms. We think that donating, we think that supporting LAP sends a powerful message that the legal community is behind these issues. If you are a law student, demand that your law school participate in this clerkships database. Students demanding change will power the movement toward transparency, equity, and accountability. And if you are a law school clerkships director or dean or faculty member, it is time for you to step forward and make real changes that recognize the urgency of reform, that recognize your role in the solution.
0: That's great. And let me amend my, my statement. Hopefully by next, uh, next clerkship round, we'll have dozens of law schools participating directly, uh, in the uh, LAP clerkship database so that everyone uh, and every student get the benefit of this great transparency that you're helping to deliver. Well, thanks again uh, for taking the time to speak with me today. I love hearing about uh, the work you're doing and the, uh, the passion that you have for this project. And I look forward to seeing the change that you and a lot of other folks are going to uh, realize in the um, uh, months, uh, years, um, and decades ahead for all the folks who are going to benefit from this project. Thanks so much.